Well, hello and welcome back to Just Saying Sports. I'm Jake Adnip here with Sean Dwyer. How's it going? We're going to go ahead and get into another week of our podcast. Got a lot of stuff to talk about today, but I just wanted to start off by giving a little shout out to everybody who's been listening to us, giving us any types of likes or shares or anything like that. We do appreciate you guys and want to remind you, if you do like us, please make sure you share our show with your friends. Go on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, give us a subscribe, a favor, a like. Anything will do. We're just trying to make it happen around here. So really appreciate your support. But without further ado, we're going to give you a little show lineup here. We're going to start off with a little bit of college basketball talk, moving into a little bit of college football slash NFL talk, and finish up this week's episode with a little bit of Major League Baseball action. So, Sean, we'll go ahead and get started off, like I said, with that NCAA basketball. The big thing that's going on now with the season just ending has been, you know, guys declaring for the NBA draft or, you know, kind of not declaring, making everybody waver waver here, you know, think about things there. But we're not going to really get into who should and who shouldn't, but really who already has and who really deserves it. So the big talk for a long time now has been over the top couple recruits. And, you know, they've been highly touted throughout the preseason rankings throughout the entire year and now at the end of the season. That's going to be DeAndre Ayton of Arizona and Marvin Bagley III from Duke, Sean. Um, these guys have, you know, shown out all year long. And one of the big things everybody's talking about is who would you rather take with the first overall pick? So I guess that'll be the question I pose to you, Sean. Who would you rather take, DeAndre Ayton or Marvin Bagley III? To me, this question has changed a lot over the last year. Um, Last year, around this time, looking forward at this draft, I would have said DeAndre Ayton. Being 7-1, having the ability to hit from the outside and stuff, I would have taken Ayton all day long. But as the season played out and you know stuff started going, people started progressing more into their college career, I'm starting to lean more towards Marvin Bagley the third. I'm sorry. Marvin Bagley the third. And the reason for that is... Each te- each player played their college season out. Yep. Um, they averaged pretty much the same in rebounds, pretty much the same in assists, pretty much the same in points per game. DeAndre Ayton, in my opinion, his post moves weren't as crisp as Marvin Bagley Jr. Or not Jr., the third, sorry. He had, works better down low, one-on-one. Um, he also hit threes at a higher clip. Than DeAndre Ayton, which is what teams in the NBA, you know, that's what they're starting to be. It's starting oh, yeah, to be a run and gun, shoot the three, get a quick post touch here and there, and those post touches have to be efficient. Yeah, you have to score off those post touches, otherwise they're going to kick it out for threes. So Bagley to me just is the better NBA mold in my opinion that will work out hitting more threes than Ayton. Well, now the, both these guys are probably going to end up playing the four in the NBA. Aiton's really big. He's seven foot one. He could definitely play the five. But in today's NBA, it has turned into more of a positionless game where they expect somebody who's playing the four or playing the five to be able to step out and make that three-pointer. Or if they're found in open space, to make that 15-foot jump shot and be able to make those types of plays. Um, like Sean said, these guys are within 1.0 in all of the major statistics. Marvin Bagley only scored... One point more per game than Aiton. Aiton had like a half rebound more per game, just .1 assists more. So in college, these guys look statistically the same, but I think the biggest difference between these two is their physical makeup. And just like you said, you were talking about a year ago, 
how oh DeAndre Ayton was seven foot one. He was so big. He was just gonna come in and physically dominate people. And I I think that's still a big proponent of his draft stock. Marvin Bagley still isn't the biggest, heftiest dude. He's still a skinny little, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid with nothing to lose. And that's the good thing about Bagley is he plays like he has nothing to lose. He plays with his heart on the floor. And no matter if he's missing or making shots, he doesn't get off. And also the other thing to say about both of these players is the two of us both know they have serious shortcomings on the defensive side of the court. Yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that they bring something on offense that no other players in this draft do. These are the best two players in America for the draft. Well, we definitely can agree on that, mostly. There's plenty of guys out there who are going to be good, who you know will turn out. But I think that this DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley back and forth is one of those things that is going to be who's going to be the superstar in the NBA and it doesn't have to be the number one or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make a difference who gets drafted where. I think it really just depends on their development. Like you said, we know that they're they're both skittish, I guess I would say, on the defensive end. They're not going to be those guys. Um, what's the guy from Texas's name? Bamba. Ba- oh, yeah. Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba. They're not going to be that guy on defense who's just throwing his seven foot one, seven foot two body around and just making sure that he's blocking shots and doing anything he can. Because he's not the type of guy who could score 22 points a game. No. These guys have the offensive weapons to be the number one pick in the draft. But my, you know, my personal opinion is a lot of the guys who go to the NBA aren't physically ready yet. And we've had this discussion for years in and years out. They're only 18-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton doesn't look like an 18-year-old kid. No, DeAndre Ayton looks like he's a 25-year-old kid on the block and he looks like he's ready to be in the NBA four years ago. Yeah. And that's the big thing for me is I, I, I see Bagley getting pushed around a bit. I see Bagley being more of a Brandon Ingram type player, somebody who has the offensive skill set to do everything they need to, but they're going to need four or five years to work it out in the NBA. And I think Deandre Ayton is a type of guy who, even if it's Anthony Davis guarding him, they have a matchup problem. They are going to have to give the ball to DeAndre Ayton. He's going to have to make the plays. You know, Bagley, if he goes number one or number two, I don't think he's going to have to come out and have a rookie of the year type of year. I don't think he's going to. I think he'll have more of that steady up climb in his career where he'll, he'll turn into a better player. Now, I think DeAndre Ayton is physically ready for the NBA. Now, is he mentally ready? I'm not quite sure. Uh, is his skills ready? Yes, but only on one side of the ball. But if it were me as an NBA GM, especially with, you know, how rare it is to find a 300 pound or 250 pound, seven foot two guy and who who can really physically dominate on the block, that makes a difference for me. Um, he's He's got a couple different arsenal. He shoots Shoots three-pointers, and it's going to be a little bit deeper for him once he gets into the NBA. So I'm sure his percentage will go down. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's an opportunity to grow and learn in that situation. So if I'm the guys taking the number one overall pick, almost any team across the board in the NBA could use a seven-foot big man who's able to score from the outside. Yeah, I know. Aiton definitely will be a top pick. Which number he goes one through, my opinion, is he's going to go one through three. Aiton's not going to go past the number third overall pick. 
Bagley probably isn't going to go past the number three overall pick. These two guys are probably going to be fighting for one through three between each other. And who goes where? It doesn't really make a difference. Which one would you rather take? I'd take Bagley. You'd take Aiton. But the biggest part of this argument is where each of them go. Yeah. What team do they go to? Which development route do they take? Who is in charge of their development? Is it going to be Atlanta? Is it going to be... L.A. L.A. Is it going to yeah. be... Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, or, or Phoenix. Or Phoenix. Because we know that nothing comes out of Phoenix. Nothing the comes out of The talent development... Devin Booker got lucky. Because he is so good. Yeah. And they just let him play his game. You know, if I'm one of these big guys where I want to go, I want to go to Memphis. I want to go play a couple years with Pau Gasol. I want to go play with Marc Gasol. Sorry, not Pau. Marc Gasol. I want to go play with him because he's one of the elite big guys in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I want to go play with him. I want to go play with that coaching staff that has coached him up to be what he is. I don't want to go to Phoenix where you've got Len as the center who's talking about them drafting his replacement because he didn't work out. I don't want to go to Sacramento where – they're talking about Willie Cauley-Stein being ousted because he didn't work out. I don't want to come in and replace somebody who didn't work out. I'd rather be stepping in for a future Hall of Famer. I definitely agree. It's, it, this is one of the things that we've seen true test of time with the NBA, the MLB, the NFL. Everybody, it doesn't always pay to be the top picks. Sometimes it is better to be in that 17 to 20 range where you have good talent development teams who are on the rise you know, where you don't always get the top. But with these guys, like we said, I think it's just a matter of who can really develop further once they make it to the draft. So there you have for our picks. We're going to go ahead and get moved on into our next segment where we're going to touch on the NFL draft. So come on back and we'll see you in just a minute. All right, welcome back. To just saying, we have our next topic on deck for you guys. We're going to go ahead and dive into our quarterback startup for this NFL draft this year. There's a couple guys who are slated to be taken in the top two, three, four, five picks. And we want to get a chance to talk about them, tell you exactly who we think is the most deserving and who will turn out the best and why. So we'll jump right into it. Um, I'll go ahead with my prediction If I was going first overall, uh, I don't think that the Browns should necessarily go first overall with a quarterback. But if I was going to take the first quarterback in the draft, I would take Josh Rosen from UCLA. Um, From the time that he got into UCLA, he was touted as one of the best pro-style quarterbacks of this generation. And that's not even an understatement on what people had said about him a few years back. He had a rough rough season with some injuries in his sophomore year and he's still showing out to be a very very solid quarterback in the NCAA now does that translate to the NFL that's the big question here I have a pretty good inkling to myself that none of these top guys are going to turn out to be the superstars that everybody wants out of you know top overall picks especially at the quarterback position But I also think that it has to do with the teams that they're going to and the teams that they have an opportunity to get drafted to. Now, Josh Rosen, he has great career stats. He's played more games than both the other guys, uh, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, who are up there. He started more games, and in in reality, to me, he's been the best quarterback. His, uh, 
His TD interception ratio for his career is 59 touchdowns to 26 interceptions. Now, that's basically on par uh, with the other two guys. Sam Darnold's got a 57-22 clip, and Josh Allen's got a 44-21 clip. But the thing is, is in the NFL, when you make mistakes, you pay for them. And that's going to be the big thing with Josh Rosen. We're going to come back to him here in a minute. But, Sean, who do you think is going to be you know, that top guy in this year's draft? Um, I'm leaning towards agreeing with you with Josh Rosen. I think that his game, in my opinion, leads more to NFL success. Sam Darno, I think, is still a very raw prospect for him to be coming out into the NFL. I think that he garnered a lot of hype with that Rose Bowl game two years ago against Penn State. And this entire year for him what is probably what some people would equate to as kind of a farewell tour which it shouldn't have been. He kind of played this season out with his last year of college eligibility going towards the NFL draft. And I don't think that's how should have been how he treated it. He's a redshirt sophomore, so that means he's eligible for the draft this year. Yeah. He played his did his three years in college. But I don't think he I think he could benefit greatly from a junior year coming back. I don't think he's gonna take it. I think he's going. Well, at this point, yeah, he's going into the NFL. Yeah, he can't, he can't, he can't, he go, can't back. go back. So, um, Josh Allen, in my opinion, he kind of isn't on the same track as Rosen skill wise. I think Josh Allen is Josh Rosen. I mean, Josh Rosen is the quarterback out of this draft. He can make the down the field throws that the other two can't. I think he has a better skill set that works more. For the NFL, you know, people have been compared him to Peyton Manning as having not the best arm strength, but he can make the throws. The accuracy. The accuracy. accuracy. And and one of the notes here is that his accuracy is his strong point. He says he's accurate at all levels. He shows advanced ball placement and especially on, you know, back shoulder throws, like Sean said, on those down the field throws towards the sideline or, you know, those flag routes where these guys are getting out into space. He makes those types of plays. But just to get into these other couple guys, Sean, they definitely have some very viable talent to make it into the NFL. And once again, we just say it depends on how they develop and how how they turn it out. But, you know, if we're going to go with the other two guys, since we both kind of agreed on Rosen, you know, who do you think you would take, you know, if you were in that three spots like the Giants are, you know, if they wanted to take a quarterback, what do you think they should do, say, if Josh Rosen is gone? Um, if he is gone at that point, I'm leaning more towards Sam Darno than I am Josh Allen. And the reason for that is Sam Darno played at a upper echelon division one team in USC. He played for a coach in Helton that has a better understanding of how the NFL works. Wyoming, while they are a division one team, I don't put Wyoming in the same class as USC. I don't put Josh Allen in the same class as Josh Rosen and Sam Darno like everybody else does. His stats match up well, and that's true. His stats do match up. But I look at Josh Allen, and what I see staring back at me in the mirror is Paxton Lynch. Okay. I see a guy who was taken in the first round as a project. Yeah, Paxton Lynch is still a project, but the Denver Broncos are in a position to draft a quarterback to f- move on from Paxton on Lynch. top of signing Case Keenum. Yeah. So Paxton Lynch has provided no stability to that quarterback position, no kind of future to that quarterback position. 
And that's what I look when I see Josh Allen. That's what I see. Somebody who is there, and he is a great player for Wyoming. But I think overall, I don't think he's a great player. But I think that has to play into your factor on stats and everything like that. Is you say that Josh Allen's stats are comparable to Sam Darnold, but he didn't have the type of weapons or the type of team around him. He had he had to do more work for these numbers. He had to do a little bit more in order to get that notoriety. You know, Sam Darnold was already at USC. Like you said, he kind of like played this year out knowing he was going to the draft. Everybody was just trying to see how good he was going to do. You know, Josh Allen has had such raw talent that, you know, he's he's only played 27 career games and he he really didn't have the most stellar year ever last year. You know, he only had 1,800 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, and, you know, he didn't play in all of his team's games. But with, you know, that low, low-tier Division I school that you're talking about, I don't think that that has as much pull on the future prospects of a quarterback. Because if you look at some of the guys who have came out of, you know, those low-out schools, even just recently like Carson Wentz, you know, coming out of South Dakota State, or if you look at Aaron Rodgers coming out of JUCO, it's not that you have to be... Cal. Well, I, he went to Cal, but still, I'm just saying, it's not that you have to be the top guy to get the top looks, is what I'm trying to say. It's not You don't have to have all the eyes just because you're at USC, or if you're at Cal like Aaron Rodgers. He didn't have the eyes at Wyoming. Now, people are looking at him. People realize, everybody's saying, Josh Allen has the best arm strength as a quarterback, you know, just down the field strength that they've seen in six to ten years. They were talking about, still, they were talking about Jamarcus Russell's arm looking at Josh Allen. That's just stuff that when Jamarcus Russell got drafted, he didn't even need to be a quarterback, and they drafted him purely on arm strength. It obviously didn't work out too well, but it's one of those things that the raw talent that these NFL teams see, I think, might be more of an upside than seeing what they have out of Darnold. Darnold isn't the ball protector or the game manager that the NFL wants. You know, I don't know if he can run a team in the NFL. So I think that really has something to play in what decision you'd make. Yeah, Sam Darnold to me, the, one of the reasons why I picked Darnold over Allen is based off of games versus Division One opponents. You know, Josh Allen opens up the year this past year against Iowa. He throws for 174 and two picks. Next week, he plays Garner Webb and hits three, 330 and two touchdowns, zero picks. Now, flip that back again. He goes against Oregon. He hits nine for 24 for 64 yards and a pick. And that, that's good. That's actual good competition. And that's good competition. Allen, if you look at it, and next week he plays Hawaii, he only hits 92 yards. And then you bounce into a game against Texas State. He hits 219. And it just, the schedule the rest of the year out flips that way until he hits Fresno State, San Diego State, where he's injured and out. And then against Central Michigan, not a team that's known as a powerhouse, he's 11 for 19 for 154 yards and three touchdowns with a 178 rating. That's a great game. Well, that's a great game, but if you're looking at 150 yards and three touchdowns, that means that their defense did a pretty good job of setting them up. Exactly what I, was, what I was following up with. The defense did a – I watched that game. The defense did a great job in that game of getting turnovers. Allen had great field position in that game. He only played – I think he only played the first three quarters. 
and 154 yards, 11 for 19. They won the game 37-14. Yeah. The game was over going into the fourth quarter. He didn't need to play. The game was decided. But going back through his entire season, it kind of flip-flopped his performances based on who he was playing. If he was playing a Power 5 or maybe even not a Power 5 team, a Group of 5 team, Mm -hmm. his performances are better depending on the prestige of the program. Games against Iowa, Oregon, Boise State were low games for him. Mm-hmm. Low ga- games against North New Mexico, Texas State, and a Division II team in Gardner-Webb, which they only won 27 nothing. he had great games. Well, yeah, and the, the big thing is to know, once again, in those big games, is his team lost all of those games. So this is what I was trying to say to you before, too, is they had, he didn't have the greatest supporting cast out of Wyoming. It's not that... You know, he would have been able to thrive better anywhere else or, you know, there's always the what ifs. But the thing is, is he had to do a lot of the production for that team. Yeah, he had a lot of it to do. But against a game against Boise State, you know, they go they low and lose 24-14. It's a 10-point game. He throws for 131, a touchdown, and two picks. And you would expect that to be a gun show. You would expect that to be a wide open game against Boise State. And even even if you're you're expecting him to throw the ball a lot more in a ten point game. That's two possessions. You need to get the ball down the field. Exactly. He should be making those plays. He should be making thirty five to forty throws instead of twenty seven. Yeah. Um so maybe that goes a little bit against Wyoming's coaching staff and the decision making that they had in those games. But I don't see Josh Allen as the top ten pick that a lot of teams and a lot of executives do. And you know what? I could be wrong, but just looking at the data that's in front of me, looking at tape of him, I don't see him matching up with the success that recent top quarterback picks have had. Well, I, I can I could agree with that. And Josh Allen is one of those guys who I don't think, even if he got drafted in the top five, would start an NFL game in his first year. You know, I, I but that's not the point of these draft picks sometimes. Your first round draft pick in the NFL should be making an immediate con- contribution. You should be making picks in the first round with the talent that's available to have an immediate impact. I don't believe in picking a quarterback that's a project for the next two years to be taking in the first round. At that, that point, why isn't he just staying in school? At that point, why isn't he staying in school? Why isn't he a second round, a third round pick? What makes him special? And if he's a project, the answer is nothing. But I think that's the the issue with this quarterback class, Sean, is all of these guys are a, sort of a project, and they're all going to go in the top probably 10 picks. Yeah, this quarterback is the upper echelon top priority pick for the NFL. People will invest more into quarterbacks than they will any other position. And that's why these three guys are a top 10 to top 20 pick because that's it. You have to invest in a quarterback at some point. And we're talking about the Cleveland Browns. They've invested in what? 26. They've invested in quarterbacks forever and they had zero wins last year. They need to, to satisfy a fan base and to satisfy a team. Just think about, they need to pick a quarterback. So it basically comes down to, they have the one and the four pick. Which one of these guys is available? Which one are they taking? But do they have the system to work on a project like this and make it what it should be? Because that's the issue with the Cleveland Browns is even when they've came across the guys that could have helped their franchise, 
They've blown their shot. And it wasn't just the guys. It was the organization. That's why I'm putting Josh Rosen at the top is because if Sam Darno or Josh Allen is rushed into a starting position, I think that's when we start talking about them being a big bust. Okay. Josh Rosen, to me, has more experience in a pro system. I know that he ran a little bit of a pro system air raid mix with Jim Mora at UCLA. But... Josh Rosen, to me, he plays for a coach who's had NFL experience in Jim Mora Jr. Uh-huh. He has set himself up to having a kind of pedigree of playing for coaches and in a system that works in the NFL. And that's why I believe he, if the Browns at number one are picking quarterback and they have it in their mind they're picking quarterback, that's why I'm going Rosen. Okay. He has more of an NFL kind of style background that works. But, you know... <laughs> The Browns have made a couple moves trying to shore up their whole situation. They've added some, they've added a couple weapons on offense. But you know what is it? Tyrod Taylor is their new quarterback right now, and I don't see much of a growth aspect as a backup behind somebody like Tyrod Taylor. So I think it's one of those boomer bust type of situations for that first overall pick. Now I just want to go back and talk about a couple of the downfalls of uh, Josh Rosen really quick. Um, one of the big things for me is just, you just brought up Jim Mora. You know, one of the things he just came out and said was, this kid needs to be, like, mentally challenged. This kid needs to, you know, have more put on his plate because there's never enough. And the the weird part to me is, is even with Jim Mora saying that, once Josh Rosen gets into the NFL, there is going to be more than enough for him to learn. The amount of stuff that he is going to have to hit on is going to be outrageous. But if... His coach, who had coached him for the past three years, says he gets disinterested. Or, you know, he's a millennial who always wants the new why, how, why me, why this, what are we doing? I I think that that could rub people in the NFL the wrong way. And I think that that will put a hindrance into his career when you try to go in as a rookie quarterback and say they put all their money on you and have you want to start a few games this year. You go in and you overthink it. You don't know what's going on, or you do know well, well, way too well what's going on, and you let it outplay your physical performance. My response to that is, out of all the organizations you can go to, the Cleveland Browns should not be the one questioning the prospect they're picking. They should be catering to whoever they pick, because they're making him the number one overall pick. They should do everything in their power to make this kid succeed. If he needs to be challenged and giving different situations and giving that test every day, then the Cleveland Browns should have Hugh Jackson go in and give him the test every day himself. Yeah. They should make this kid succeed. If you're investing that number one over now, let's just be honest for a second. Neither of us think that the Browns should take quarterback another one. No, no. I, if, it, we'll just put it out there. Saquon but, Barkley needs to be the first overall pick in this draft. Yeah, Saquon and Bar- we'll just leave it at that. Saquon Barkley is a freak. He needs to be taken number one overall. But for the sake of conversation, we're talking which quarterback should be taken one. Yeah. It should be the first quarterback exactly. taken. Or at least, at least the first quarterback taken. And so Josh Rosen, for both of us, is that guy. If that the team is making that investment in the first quarterback in the draft... I don't care if it's at one or two or three. They need to make themselves responsible for letting this kid succeed. And if Jim Moore comes out and says this kid needs to be challenged every day, he needs to be given something new, 
then it's on that team that takes him to do it because he they invested in him. And that's why I just hope and pray that the Cleveland Browns don't mess it up. The Cleveland Browns are the they need to do everything right. I, from I could here just on out. I could just imagine how well one of these quarterbacks will flourish under a New York Giants system, where they have Pat Shermer as a head coach now. He's been an offensive coordinator for years. Turned Case Keenum and uh, Sam Bradford uh, and even, Teddy Bridgewater we, uh, but, gold. But, and you even think about Nick Foles back when he was with Philadelphia. You know, this is what you go way back. He's done it all. You know, and you have Eli Manning, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, MVP, you know, to teach this kid who, you know, even though the Giants put pressure on Manning last year, you know, broke his start streak, had kids come in because they only won two games or whatever. When you get a rookie quarterback in, that ain't going to happen. No. They're not going to put a precious investment on the field when Eli can still play. And I think that's the big thing is if Josh Rosen goes number one overall, these other two guys might have a better shot at a big career because they can go to somebody like the New York Giants and stay away from the Cleveland Browns organization. And I think that's one of the things that I, I really would like to get in the head of some of these recruits and some of these um, you know, draft prospects and ask them, you know, how badly do you want to avoid getting picked by such a terrible organization? And that's one of the things that they'll never come out and say because it's a factor of money. And that's where I think that one of the three guys that we haven't even talked about yet plays into this, and that's Baker Mayfield. Because Baker Mayfield pretty much has come out and said with the confidence that he can turn around the Cleveland Browns. I don't know if that's a ploy. <laughs> it has to be. That he's taking to try and fit himself up into the top one or four pick the Browns have. But that's the thing with the NFL draft. You never know what's going to happen. No. We can sit here and talk for 30 hours about each that, pick. That, that first pick is probably the only one that we could actually predict. And I don't even think that you could predict it with much accuracy this year. Yeah. This year, you know, there's a couple guys that are in the mix. You know, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Saquon Barkley, Baker Mayfield has even been talked about in that mix. Um, so there's the five guys that are in the mix for number one. Last year, it was pretty well off. The year yeah. before, it was pretty well off. Well, yeah, and this is what this is this is why everybody's freaking out is because you guys need to remember that over the last five years, three out of the top five picks have usually been offensive or defensive linemen. A bunch of the first round picks since 2012 have been defense. First, first overall picks have been defensive players. So you got to realize. When you get into a pick 'em game like this, where it's pick your poison or you know pick your elixir, basically, it's such a toss up in the NFL because it really does have to do like with the point we brought back in before. It has to do with the coaching and the development of professional coaches in the NFL, and I think that's what's going to make the difference in this draft class. We're gonna you know wrap this up here, but just a reminder, you know, I think Josh Rosen is definitely the best quarterback in this draft. Right now, do I think he'll have the best career? I don't think so. Just because if he gets drafted to somebody like Cleveland, it might damn him right off the start and give these other guys a better chance to kind of develop. But in the bottom line, the best pro-style NFL quarterback in this draft is Josh Rosen. Yeah, post-combine, post-pro day, I'm still leaning towards Josh Rosen over the other two. I think his skill set translates more to the NFL game than Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. And I know Darnold had a great pro day, throwing in the rain in Los Angeles. Everybody made a giant deal out of it. Well, that's because it doesn't rain in Los Angeles, not because Sam Darnold's very good. Exactly. 
But Josh Rosen, to me, as we agree on, is still the top quarterback in this draft. All right. So we're going to go on into our final segment of this show, and we'll get you started in here in just a minute. Alrighty, welcome back to Just Saying with Jake and Sean. We only got one more topic for you here today. It'll be a quick one, but something we wanted to touch on just because we both spoke about it over the weekend. And the big thing that we noticed about the Major League Baseball season so far, besides all the injuries and stuff that I touched on a little bit with Salvador Perez, is there was a myriad of games postponed and uh, pushed back over opening weekend and opening week due to Inclement weather in the northern part of the United States. Now, basically, my big question here, Sean, is why? Um, These guys are already playing a 162-game year. Why are we going to make it any harder on them by squeezing these games in later in the year if they could just schedule them correctly? Exactly. Scheduling them correctly is what's going on right now. A lot of the games that have gotten postponed to but over the last week have been teams, I know it's an old term, but teams that are north of the Mason-Dixon line playing teams that are north of the Mason-Dixon line. And in the meantime, you have teams like the Dodgers are playing at Arizona. San Francisco is playing at Texas. You have just different teams from other southern states playing each other while you've got Pittsburgh playing at Detroit. You've got Cleveland playing at say let's say Chicago you have all these people in the exact same weather situation are playing the same teams exactly you have teams that are in the north playing the north teams that are in the south playing the south and as simple as we can make it sound is the major leagues took away interleague play week a long time ago three or four years now where it's not just one week in the middle of July where you play national league if you're American league or American league where you're national league it's spread throughout the entire season that gives you 30 other teams that you can choose from besides the two that are in competition. And by my quick math of adding up teams, there are 15 teams that are more than well with South that could host games for the other 15 teams to start the season. Exactly. That's half and half. So the big thing that we saw was, you know, over opening weekend, uh, the Detroit Tigers... You know, they had their opening weekend series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Thursday opening day gets rained out. And it's not that it was, I mean, it was cold, but it's not that it was the worst weather ever. But the thing is, is they rained it out and they rescheduled it for Sunday. So these guys had to turn around and play Friday, Saturday, Sunday on a doubleheader on Sunday. And then on Monday play a one o'clock game. And that's something that the MLB to start off the season already sounds crazy for making these guys do. I understand the MLB's thought process and starting the season a little bit earlier and giving the players more off days during the season. But at the same time, you're starting the season in Detroit in one of the worst weather cities in the country. Especially at the end of March. At the end of March. You're opening yourself up to possible... What we even saw yesterday in Chicago. There is a snowstorm in the middle of a baseball game. Starting the season out earlier and giving players more time off, yes. Perfect. Great. But do it in the South. 
do it where teams aren't going to have to worry about snowstorms and 30-degree weather, which makes for great baseball for nobody. Well, I just need to make a point. Um, you know, from the Lansing area after going to Michigan State, and they have a single-A baseball team for the Toronto Blue Jays, the Lansing Lugnuts. They actually just put out a promotion because it is going to be so cold at the games this week. They are going to match the ticket price to the temperature. The game tickets are 35 cents each because it's only going to be 35 degrees at these games. That that's outrageous. I, I love that minor base minor, minor league baseball is able to do promotions that's, and such that they can do cool things like that. That's a great promotion. Yeah, that's awesome. It's going to get more people out to the ballpark than they would at anywhere else, especially in 35 degree weather. There, you can't deny a 35 cent ticket. But in the major leagues, that's never going to happen. No, especially with you know Detroit. The last five days or the last five games they had, they announced they have sellouts because they're selling these tickets. And there is 150 people at these games. They're announcing sellouts based off how many tickets were sold. Not how many are there. how many tickets were scanned into the stadium. Exactly. And that's the thing is the MLB needs to take a look at the realization that these early season games in the northern part of the United States are probably losing them money. If they just were able to schedule these three or four games into those other days in the season and, you know, basically flip-flop a home series, give them an away series that first week of the year or maybe the first two weeks you play away from home and then you do the flip-flop. And I know fans wouldn't be happy having to wait until April 10th to see their baseball team play at home, but they're they're already not seeing their baseball team play at home because they've paid for tickets and now they have to wait and reschedule and do this and do that thing that also is being said against that is these teams that are southern and everything they don't want a front-loaded home schedule that's going to work against them and possible pennant races in september and october don't tell me that with a 162 game schedule you can't figure out a way to make the first 10 days of the season in the south of the united states that's exactly what i was going to say if at some point they have to go on a long road trip before the all-star break to even that out and then give them the second half of their schedule as is, why aren't teams taking that? I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing on the other side. These guys are starting the season on, a say, a six-game road trip if you do it like this. And I, I obviously, people don't always want to turn out like that. They don't always want to have, you know, the first couple games on the road. It doesn't really start off your season very well because everybody knows, even in baseball, which is such a long season, you know, if you start off 2-18 and 18, – that's already way too deep of a hole to have to dig yourself back from, you know? And then the other thing is also with all these games in the North being canceled, it's pushing, you know, the Tigers have already had pushed into a doubleheader in opening weekend. They already have another one scheduled for later this month. Yeah. At what point is this going to turn into how many doubleheaders can we fit into a season to fit all these games in? That we're having to cancel in the first month. Yeah, and you have to realize that there is going to be more postponements and cancellations, not only throughout this first month of baseball and the weather, but throughout the whole season. Things happen, you know. There's been there's been games where they've played baseball and not let fans in the stadium. Things happen, you know. And I think that if they were just a little bit more prepared on the first end of the season and I guess really coming to the realization that Mother Nature is never going to work for you. The only thing you can do is work against you. That they'll be able to make a, you know, a fiscal smart decision and be able to realign this so that not only do the teams make money, 
but they're playing their games when they need to be played and not over-pushing these guys early in the season because like we said about these injuries, imagine having a pretty, a decently cold arm. You have spring training, but you know the, the big guys don't really play all the time down there. Imagine you have a decently cold arm and then you got to come out and play four games in five days or four games in really not even four games in four days or four games in three days at the beginning of the year. All that does is hinder your performance the rest of the season. Exactly. Coming from the 70-something degree Florida games in the Grapefruit League or the Arizona League in the Cactus League, and then coming up and playing in 30-degree weather, like the Tigers had to do four games in three days. You know, Miguel Cabrera left the game yesterday with an injury. Already. Uh, Already. We're in the first week of the season. First week and a half. At what point do enough people are going to get this... Schedule that they have now is going to lead to more people getting hurt earlier in the year for longer than ever before oh, in baseball. Of course, and it may the the difference in the cold between springtime and fall time in Detroit or in these northern cities is a big difference. Imagine having a hundred and twenty five or one hundred and thirty games under your belt and then getting into the cold part of the season and having to work your way through it. Then at the beginning of the year, like Sean just said, you go seventy degrees. To 30 degrees. There is no human who can adjust to temperatures like that. Us Michiganders have a pretty good time when it's 40 degrees out in the middle of April wearing shorts. That's shorts weather. Yeah, it's shorts weather. But that's because we were conditioned for the past six months of 30 degree weather. Now, if you're conditioned to 70 degree weather and you walk into 30 degree weather, that's how you get stiff. And and that's how you get injured. Now, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up. I uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in once again. If you like the show, make sure you shoot us a like, a favorite, a subscribe on all major platforms, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, all the good stuff. Uh, make sure that you keep up and follow with what we're doing. And if you guys have any recommendations on what we'd like to see from us in the future, make sure you shoot them on out. Uh, once again, my name's Jake Atnip. I'm Sean Dwyer. And this is Just Saying Sports. You guys have a fantastic evening.